Not afraid to tell it like it is. The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon till 3 on AM 900 CHML. All right, Sunday, officially the 25th anniversary since Dr. Roberta Bondar became the first Canadian woman in space. Uh, What an honor it is to have Dr. Roberta Bondar with us right now, Canada's first astronaut in space, author, uh, physician, scientist, and, of course, astronaut. She is with us now. Hello, Dr. Roberta Bondar. How are you today? Fine. How are you doing? I'm doing very well. What a thrill it is uh, for me to talk to you. I remember very vividly uh, this all going on. Can you believe it's been 25 years? Oh, it's really hard to believe. I mean, kids that were doing projects on me that watched me launch and they were 10, like, are now 35. That's <laughs> kids. When you think back to those eight days you spent up there, uh, I, I can imagine what it must be like for your senses. But at this period, 25 years later, what still stands out? What, what's the one thing that stands out about your time in space? The, the most amazing part, of course, was the reality check about the planet. We were so cerebral about it down here on Earth that we studied at school. Yeah, the Earth's the planet, blah, blah, it's third from the sun. But when you go into space and you actually see it as the planet, it is truly amazing, mind-bending experience. How do you not spend the whole time up against the window? Because you have a, you have a <laughs> list of things to do. If you don't do them, they probably will... I don't know. Take your diaper away when you come back. (laughs) Uh, Obviously, uh, this was an interesting time in the space program. Uh, Your liftoff delayed. It was only a few years earlier of the the Challenger disaster. What do you think about while you're sitting there strapped into this pile of explosives and about to go off? What runs through your mind at that point? Well, it's quite interesting. It's in the mid-deck where I was against the wall. It was farthest away from the escape hatch, so I wanted my buddies to be awake because I would have to. They would have to get out before me if there was an if there was a repeat of the Challenger accident. Plus, we didn't have very much lighting in the mid-deck. We had to have all the power going to the uh, all the instruments and the the whole system that was getting us off the ground. So we had chem sticks, you know, the kind you have for Halloween. Mm. They had <laughs> they had the green ones around the mid-deck, so it's pretty hard to see the checklist which we had to be able to see in order to get out of the orbiter. We had specific things to follow through on. So you couldn't really let your mind wander too far away because things happen in, in a split second. And if you're not prepared, not ready with those reflexes, then you're going to die. Uh, what does it feel like when it finally does lift off? It was so rudimentary. I'm, I remember feeling so shocked, thinking everybody thinks this is like that the, the epitome of an airplane like it's all this is really great technology and it was good technology but it was like being in a tin can with a rocket at the end of your butt i mean mm-hmm. that the whole thing was shaking and i i think that's when it, the reality hit me that we are just making baby steps to get off this planet and and even then i mean you think that's 25 years ago how far technology has come since then when you look at what you guys were doing in the shuttle program and then look back to what the apollo astronauts were using i mean you think how did people do this well it's in some ways it's not that far removed i mean the shuttle looks uh, looked pretty big but really the usable part for for just activities of daily living was the front part which was which was very small and then the back part had a, it was like a, having a school bus that you mm-hmm. experiments in. But, I mean, there's no question, even with the Soyuz today, if you look at the way they launch and the way they land, it's not that far removed from what an Apollo capsule was all these years later. And we still have accidents with unmanned vehicles uh, exploding, etc. So, you know, maybe there's some stuff that we're doing a little bit better, but it's still pretty dangerous. 
when you were up there, and 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 obviously you're you're as busy as can be doing whatever it is that you have to do. Then it gets towards the latter part of the mission. You know, you're a day or two out from coming home. What's that like? Is it like when you're on a great vacation? Of course, except you're doing a lot of work, and then you you don't want it to end. What's your feeling when you have to come home? Well, I can't generalize everybody else. I can certainly tell you what I was feeling like. I mean, we had a, a toilet broke down on day five, and we were at day eight. It was kind of just thinking about that and thinking mm. about having a shower and seeing your friends. What the thing that I really thought about the most was I, I thought about coming back and exploring the planet because astronauts are supposed to do that. They're supposed to discover things. They're supposed to have a great adventure. And what could be more adventurous than exploring this planet that I, I circled uh, well, you know, well over 129 times in space. I really wanted to come back, and I was very excited about that. What was reentry like? The reentry is uh, was very hot. I mean, the, you you really have to be prepared in terms of reloading water into the body because we're down to liters of fluid when we're in space, and you have to put that back in with salt tablets that bother the stomach, and you can't do it more than 45 minutes before touchdown. So all of that, all of that makes it. Uh, you know, it makes the landing exciting, but it's also it's also a bit. Uh, I think I don't want to use the word scary because we weren't scared. But the idea for most people coming back through the plasma and having the orbiter heat up with all this orange and yellow stuff going beside behind the orbiter and in front of the orbiter and all around the orbiter is not for the faint of heart. What is it like when you pop out the other end and are back in or out of the atmosphere? Uh, well, I remember the popping back into the atmosphere more than popping out of it, because the out of it was eight and a half minutes. Popping back in was longer, like four, 45 minutes from the time we started uh, doing our reentry burn. But actually, they, And you're the last, seeing flame around you during that whole point? Uh, well, actually, just when we hit the atmosphere, right. which is probably about the last uh, 20 minutes or so, 15, 20 minutes. But coming back in, we did not put the, side, the, the cover over the side hatch door, which uh, the guy forgot to do it on our checklist. So we can see the clouds. I've never seen clouds go by so fast. Mm. Wow. Uh, when you do this uh, for a living and, and you've finally done it, how do you top that? Do you think, my goodness, there's nothing else I have left to do in life? How, what is it like post-space uh, travel? I think it's like a lot of things. Uh, we all have emotional highs that we reach in our lives, and they can vary from having a, having a baby to... Uh, holding your mother when she's passing away to mm. to uh, and there are all kinds of things individually we have in our emotional memories and if you're talking about a, a there are physical accomplishments we do etc professional accomplishments and I've done a lot of other professional accomplishments to, which to me are are just as important uh, to me personally as being in space I think that that to achieve a dream that one has had since a child being a child I think that's a fantastic thing, and, and we're able to we're able to contribute to society. That that's really really great. I do think that if I had my whole life revolving around that one moment, that those eight days, hmm. and felt there was nothing else for me that was equal to to that in my emotional experience, I think I'd be so damn depressed. I wouldn't want to get up in the morning. Hmm. What do people ask you the most, even today? Uh, they, they usually ask, "What was it like?" Mm-hmm. Which could be ranging from looking out the window to using the bathroom to eating the food to doing the experiments. I mean, it's a very general question, which I always try to narrow for a person because it's very hard to formulate questions about something so surreal and and unknown. I mean, it's very hard. One's biased by Star Trek and Star Wars movies 
and and it's I think it's it's difficult for people to wrap their minds around somebody having a real life experience without a stunt partner. Uh, do you ever get tired of answering those questions? I only get tired if people don't really listen to what they're asking me. Yeah. And, and, and sometimes people ask me a question, then they'll ask me another question, and you can tell that whatever answer I gave them, it didn't, it, it, nothing was, that wasn't important to them. Yeah. And so that, I think, more than anything, I like people to ask questions when they're engaged, and they find the answer that I give either leads them on to something else or makes them feel like the question's been answered. Why don't we see more women in space? Well, you could ask the Canadian Space Agency that. Mm-hmm. Uh, they put out for a couple of more astronauts, and I think they're hoping to get some women in there. I think the last time they had a uh, had this selection process, they were using a lot of physical criteria, which are not necessary. And so we don't have just Julie and myself are the only Canadians, and I hope that I uh, hope that ends soon. What do little girls say to you when they meet you? Little girls are, are, they're just, I think they're just very inquisitive. I mean, they're just, I don't think they're, they're the ones that are not that as, they're impressed, but so are the little boys. I think the people that, that really ask me about stuff are the fathers who have little girls. Hmm. And I find that quite interesting. Uh, but I really like it when either the fathers or the mothers come and they've got their young sons. Because what it means is that their young sons see that women are equally are equal to the task, mm-hmm. and so it, it 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 makes them I think helps them garner respect for for women doing these kinds of things as well as and it's more like a team then. How big a deal was it that you were uh, the first Canadian woman in space? How big a deal was that twenty five years ago? And uh, are we still looking at it the same way? It was a big deal 25 years ago, and it's a big deal now. Yeah, because, we again, there's only been two, there's only been one since you, so... That's right. We've had lots of men that have had multiple flights in Canada, but, you know, <laughs> not us. Yeah, you, you, I've, I've read that you were disappointed you haven't, you didn't get it to go up a second time. Well, it wasn't, yeah, I mean, I did a, I did a great mission, and it's kind of hard to be told the day you're fed it on Parliament Hill that your contract's over with no reason for it. Everyone else is being sent down for training, so... But, you know, and when you think, when I think back on it, I think, hey, if that hadn't happened, I wouldn't have been able to pursue this passion I have for the environment that I saw from space, do my photography. I might have been on the, the, the Columbia vehicle that was yeah. doing science. I might, mm. have been, I might have been killed. So all of those things, hey, you know, I don't think about that anymore. I mean, there was a time where it really bothered me for, for a number of years. But, hey, I moved on, and I'm happy with what I've done. And I probably wouldn't have done all these things had I, had I stayed in the space program. Thoughts of where the space program is now through Apollo, the shuttle series, and where we are now with the International Space Station? Well, my, I have always felt that we should, go to the, we should have gone to the moon and not the International Space Station. That's my, my bias. We would have been able to develop enough rockets with propulsion systems that would actually help us even get closer to Mars. It would have established laboratories. It would have given people lots of opportunity to see who really has the right stuff in terms of some longer space duration flights. So uh, you think we should have been on the moon in some sort of uh, mounted space station as opposed to something floating through the atmosphere? Absolutely. What decisions would have been made to allow that to happen or not happen? Why the direction, why did they go the direction they did? Well, first of all, Canada really doesn't have much say in it. But if we look at our American colleagues who did have it, I mean, the Vietnam War came along. I mean, they canceled the last 
some of the last Apollo programs. They didn't even finish the Apollo program. It was all about it was all about lack of vision and lack of ability to be able to stay stay on message, to be focused, to have someone with charisma to hey, really explain how important this was. But instead, it, it went the other way. Now, I'm, I'm not saying if it hadn't been with the space shuttle program, we wouldn't have had as many women fly, that's for sure, because they were bigger, bigger crews. Mm-hmm. But if we had gone to the moon, there still would have been that opportunity for, for, for more genders and cultures to be on the surface and working with each other. Uh, in the end, we're trying to go on to Mars. We're trying to uh, transport people there and, and set up camp there one day. Would that have been more beneficial uh, by, by doing something like that on the moon? Would that have been the only reason to go back to the moon? There's not, there isn't one reason to go back to the moon. There are many, and I think you see nations like China and India understanding that there are resources on the moon, and we have not even put foot on the backside of the moon. The Russians have, and they've had vehicles that have returned samples to Russia from the far side of the moon. We, we, if you look where, where Apollo astronauts have put their, put their uh, boots, I mean, it's very little real estate on the moon. Mm-hmm. And there's so much we don't know even about the history of our own planet or what the kinds of things that might be affecting us in the future. To be on the moon, to look at stuff that, that deals with radiation, to have telescopes on the moon that can look far into the future and look far into the past, I mean, these are things that, that, that we need. And to do it on a, a better surface on the, pla- on the moon than and going around our planet, then, you know, these are stepping stones we need to get to Mars. Uh, back in the 1960s, obviously, th- this was huge. Everybody following every move that astronauts were making. Then we fast forward to the 70s and the shuttle program and, th- you know, being able to come back in the same craft. That was unbelievable. And then it seemed that there was just so many going up for an extended period of time while the, the space station was being built and so on. It almost got to the point where everyone was used to space travel. Do you think that now with what's going on with the, with, with the International Space Station and perhaps uh, travel tourism that people are that excitement is being reignited with space i think there's no question that the excitement is being reignited because of the commercial space ventures and the opportunity for people to to buy a seat on virgin galactic's uh, spacecraft for example so that they can go around the planet uh, not uh, not in one orbit but uh, go ballistically and come back i mean there's there's more opportunity now for people uh, if they pass the medical. I do feel that accidents always make people more focused on a program, and I don't want that to happen. I I wish Mm -hmm. there weren't any more accidents. I think there's bound to be. But uh, nonetheless, I think that if we look at the competing interests on the surface of the planet, it's it's the good and the bad. I mean, there's more accessibility for people online, too. I mean, you could live stream the space station all the time. Mm -hmm. Uh, So that's kind of fun for schools and projects. Uh, at the same time, there are these other these other things that we find on the web that take our interest away as well. So, it's I think we're going through a period where people are going to uh, develop some more interest when we have different types of vehicles going or going to the moon. Uh, That's my next question. What about the craft? You were talking about how what we're taking up to the space station now, those Soyuz rockets, not much different than what the Apollo uh, astronauts were using. Uh, the, the space shuttle seemed to be the most interesting thing in the sense that it was like a plane. It, can, it could take off and then come back. Where are we with the next craft? What's that going to be like? 
Well, we've got SpaceX who has this reusable vehicle that uh, had had some problems landing on a barge on the, on the ocean. And that's amazing, too, to see a rocket yeah. come back down that way. That's My right. goodness. And if it weren't for computers, we could do that. I mean, the yeah. computers are, are getting better and better. People are getting better at understanding gyros and trying to program things so that they'll come back in a safe manner. And I think that if we look into space planes, people have been... Uh, there are all kinds of, of shuttle copies. Mm-hmm. Uh, different different countries are trying unmanned vehicles that look like shuttles so that they can bring things back. But I think there's going to be a lot of creativity in the future about the types of vehicles. But again, you have to have a destination. And right mm-hmm. now the destination is only space station. Uh, and so people are developing things to dock on space station, to resupply space station. But that's the first step in trying to develop new propulsion systems. After that, one says, okay, we're going to go to the moon. Let's have a bigger propulsion system because that's what they're going to need to go to Mars. Hmm. Uh, we talked about reentry. What was the shuttle like when it actually lands like a plane and it hits the runway? What's that like? Well, the wheel, I can tell you, the wheels feel like they're, they're square blocks because <laughs> they've been tucked under the belly and in cold space. And coming back, even though we have the plasma around, there, there's, they had the heat tiles underneath, and they, they really were very good at damping out or absorbing the heat so we didn't feel it. But the, when the wheels touch down, I mean, it was going clunk, clunk, clunk down the runway. Yeah. But it's a good feeling, you know, when the wheels touch down because there's a very diff- there's a, it's a very difficult vehicle to control. It, you can't go around if it if you kind of miss the runway. It's just, it's yeah. going to land. <laughs> Man, what a fascinating time. Dr. Roberta Bondar has been with us 25 years ago this week, became Canada's first female astronaut in space. Also author, physician, scientist, you name it. Uh, Roberta, thank you so much for sharing your stories with us. Absolutely fascinating. Congratulations on the anniversary. My pleasure. Thank you very much.